This is Jim Gray from Caligula's Horse, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. Welcome to another interview from Sonic Perspectives. My name is Samantha, and today I am joined by none other than Jim Gray of Caligula's Horse. It's a privilege to have you here today, and I am so excited to talk about Rise Radiant and everything going on in the Caligula's Horse camp. So, with just under a month away from its release, I know that Rise Radiant is on everyone's minds. Could you start off by talking a little bit about what listeners can expect to hear on the album? What are the big sounds, styles, and movements that really define this album? Yeah, sure. Um, it's definitely sort of a step towards the heavier for us, for a lot of it. Um, we were super excited to be able to sort of capture all of the diversity of our sound across, you know, a single album. I think Sam put it best recently when he uh, we did sort of like a tra- uh, track-by-track breakdown of the entire album. And Sam covered it really nicely by sort of saying that it, it feels almost like it's the album we've been trying to make for for nine years you know it's sort of the culmination of all of the musical learning and and personal experience that we've had working together over the last nine years so yeah it's a really diverse and energetic sound uh it's not a concept album this time around every song has sort of its own uh meaning and its own voice uh but it's something that we're immensely proud of so given that this isn't a concept album where in contact definitely leaned into that more heavily what are the main themes that we're seeing on rise radiant what can listeners expect? I think that the title kind of captures it pretty well. I mean, Rise Radiant for me sort of means that, you know, through adversity and from a position where you've been laid low, you can rise and overcome. And I think that theme of overcoming uh, whatever's in your way is sort of pervasive throughout the whole album. So, you know, you've got things like The Tempest and Slow Violence, both of those things uh, sort of discussing the uh, overcoming the hypocrisy of others, I guess, uh, and not accepting the hand that you've been dealt and sort of finding strength within yourself and accepting your own weakness and the strength in accepting your own weakness, things like that. There's also themes of legacy and things like that uh, towards the end of the album, songs like Autumn and The Ascent. Uh, and, of course, there's uh, a lot of discussion of kind of mental health uh, recovery and, and overcoming that throughout the album too, which is something, of course, that's sort of at the forefront of my mind. The album itself, we uh, really wanted it to be a lot more direct emotionally uh, than our previous work. And by that, I mean, like, part of the reason it's not a concept album is because we definitively wanted to avoid, um, you know, the facade of someone else's story um, to kind of soften the blow of us expressing ourselves as though we were kind of afraid of it. But uh, now all of the meaning of the song definitely comes directly from us. Caligula's Horse is such an emotionally driven band, and... It's really interesting to see how you've approached this. Now, as a listener, I've noticed that your albums have almost alternated in a light and dark thematically. We have this lighter, whereas In Contact was darker, and then Bloom was brighter again, and so on and so forth. What is this give and take like as creators between this light and this darkness, and what you want listeners to experience? Um, I think part of the reason um, between that kind of dichotomy is to highlight the fact that, that neither one comes without the other. And I, I mean, I know that that's almost a cliche at this point, but um, 
in terms of an emotive quality, we never wanted to write music that was abundantly sad, you know, or, or something that is, you know, entirely over the top saccharine kind of happy. Um, all of the brightness in our music and all of the color in our music is touched with the existence of a shadow and, and vice versa. I think mostly, you know, even with songs like Firelight from Bloom, uh, you know, that, that's quite an emotional song and it's quite a heart on the sleeve kind of song, but it's still nested within that fragility of the human experience, you know, how temporary we are and, uh, and all of that. So I think a lot of that is captured in Rise Radiant as well. Aside from just thematically, going heavier on Rise Radiant, how did you balance that, I guess, more cheerful sound with this kind of almost stripped down, more aggressive musical feel? Um, I think uh, keeping in touch with, with the, uh, the sort of energy of it. I mean, even when it does get super heavy, like I think the song Valkyrie is an example of sort of one of the, the more extremely sort of, uh, I suppose, monochromatic, dark kind of heavy moments on the album. Even then, uh, the chorus is very melodic and it feels very uplifting. And, and of course, the message is uplifting as well. I think that uh, Sam's ability to create a musical journey that is colorful and has vibrance and, and, uh, and it grows throughout, so it has a lot of variety throughout it, um, I think that really highlights that dark versus light, shadow versus color kind of situation. Is there a particular track you find most definitive of Rise Radiant Sound, as in like the one track that really stands out as the defining track? Um, I think it's got to be The Ascent. I think the closing track, um, it's one of my favorites, Think that we've ever written, but it's definitely uh, one of my favorites off the album as well, um, purely because the journey that it takes really captures all of the themes of, that, of the album. You know, it, it's um, steeped in legacy, uh, but the journey that it takes highlights, you know, the strength that we have as people, and, and that's and it has the, the titular line of Rise Radiant in it as well. Um, and I think that the variety within that song, the energy, the darkness, the positivity, um, the kind of bittersweet message throughout it. I think that really captures the whole thing. I would definitely love to keep talking about The Ascent because this is the second album we're seeing this huge epic closing track that has a lot of emotion, it balances that light and that dark, and I'm sure that people are going to be comparing this to Graves. Where do you see this being different from Graves, and is there a particular reason that you lean in the direction of these long closing tracks, two albums in a row? I quite like the journey at the end of the album. I don't, I'm, I am a fan of that. I don't think that there was an, an intentional uh, decision uh, when we were writing the album. Like I, I, as I recall, our entire mission statement was to try and get these songs to be, like I said, as directly emotional as possible, but, you know, let them be the length that they are, you know? So if we can be concise with it and the message, you know, communicates itself, the song has said what it wants to say, then that's it. But there were a couple of moments while we were writing and I think, Salt and Autumn and the Ascent are great examples of this, where we realized it needed to say more. It needed to, to take a bit more of a journey with it. So the Ascent was definitely a result of that. And as it was coming together, it really just sort of made it clear that this was going to be a big closing track kind of thing. Um, I'm sure people will compare it to Graves. I think it, uh, I think it has, again, more, more of a, a personal message within it. And, and again, it's not, not covered with a, a concept, because, of course, the, the concept of Graves is, is quite... Um, fundamentally dark uh, throughout uh, within, the, within the sort of bounds of that story, um, whereas this is very much a reflection of our feelings when we became parents, 
you know, when all of a sudden legacy became really important to us and our personalities and life goals and everything changed fundamentally overnight on the arrival of our children in a way that we could never have expected. Given how personal some of these concepts and these lyrics are to you, how do you, I guess, differentiate what the music means to you as an artist and what it's going to mean to your listeners? Um, that's not really something that we consider. I mean, not in a harsh way. <laughs> not in, I'm not saying like, oh, these thicker fans will believe what they want. I don't care. And with us, uh, it's very much, it always has been music for us. You know, it, it, we started out knowing that our music wasn't necessarily going to be for other people. We were going to release this album and it was going to be done. When it came down to it, uh, you know, people started connecting with our music and we decided to take it further and continue writing music. And that, that hasn't changed. You know, when we go to write a new album, it, it's for us. We are sort of the arbiters of its, of its quality, of its message, of, of whether it's good. And this album is one that, that I feel like I could go back and listen to, you know, it's in years to come. It's hard sometimes to go back and listen to your stuff from years ago because you have that little cringe of like, oh, I've learned so much since then and I wouldn't do that the same way. Um, but uh, I feel like this is, is really, you know, fundamentally our style and something that I'm going to be proud of for for all time. <laughs> well, we'll see if you say that in a few years, right? Yeah, just come chat to me then. Um, I'll be alone somewhere in a, in a skip, sobbing into a sandwich. <laughs> well, given how much you all have put into this emotionally and this creative process, can you talk about the creative process that led up to Rise Radiant? And was it any different from prior albums? Yeah, it was a little bit different. Um, we we actually started writing just before our um, 2018 tour of Europe at the end of 2018. Um, and it was the first time that we actually started sketching out some songs and doing a little bit of, um, you know, scratch demoing on a tour bus and getting that started. Um, and it was at that point that the collaborations with the other members of the band started because primarily throughout our whole career, obviously the, the project has been me and Sam. Uh, that's how it started and that's kind of how it's always been. And that's why our, our you know, writing process has been uh, developing and our personal relationship has been developing to the point where now it's really streamlined and a very enjoyable experience. Um, but the other guys in the band have now started to contribute. So, I mean, you've, you've got Josh working on us with Ocean Rise, uh, Dale on The Tempest and Adrian on Salt. And, you know, these ideas that they've had have, you know, they've come to us with something and that's germinated into something that was developed into a, a Caligula Source song. And it's not something that we could have reached without their input. So, yeah, it was really different and, and very exciting. Um, a lot of the, the writing for the album happened in a short period of time right before recording, and um, you know we were able to kind of invest a lot of our time in it. So it was um, very exciting this time around. So I'm going to go a little bit back to In Contact and I guess just pick your brain a little bit more just on you as a creator specifically. So on In Contact, a lot of people found the spoken word track Inertia and the Weapon of the Wall to be super powerful and it's something that comes up in live shows and that's an experience that not a lot of other bands are able to emulate given that they don't have something similar what exactly led you to spoken word in the first place do you anticipate doing it again in the future it's a good question um i i love that inertia split the room you know i mean like you said there's a lot of people that, that thought it was really effective dramatically and they had a great time and, and it was really cool performing it live and seeing how many people around the world actually knew the words to this silly thing that we did. And um, 
that was that was kind of nice. But I also love how much hate it got um, because you know if, if people people either sort of loved it or went like this is this is a terrible thing. Why did you put this on the album? And I feel like if you're dividing people like that, then you've sort of you've succeeded in a way. Um, I had a phase of falling in love with spoken word poetry. There were a couple of of things that I saw that kind of went like, oh, that could be a really exciting new kind of form of poetry or self-expression for me. So, you know, and I threw myself into it and I wrote a whole bunch of stuff and um, uh, the bare bones of inertia was, was one of those things. And then when I realized we were writing a chapter in, in contact uh, around a poet, it seemed, it seemed appropriate to kind of appropriate some of these themes from inertia and, and put them into this and, it fit perfectly, and uh, and I was able to kind of shape it and remove all of the unnecessary fluff that I'd written in this in this draft, and and kind of weaved it into Ink's um, story. And I was uh, extremely happy with it. And I, again, playing it live and that transition into the canon's mouth is always a real buzz for me, for sure. I really can't see uh, can't see us doing it in the future. I like I can never rule stuff out because if it tickles our fancy, then then it tickles our fancy. But right now, because it's not, you know a conceptual work that kind of invites poetry into it. I, I, I can't imagine us doing it again, but the things that I learned from um, throwing myself into that world have definitely changed the way that I approach the lyrics on Rise Radiant. So that's sort of another point of difference there between our previous work is that there's a lot more of what I would describe as uh, like evocative spoken word style lyrics throughout. How is this going to translate to the live environment? What do you see changing or I guess being enhanced at Caligula's Horse live shows? as a result of these changes on Rise Radiant? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of exciting, uh, intense moments. There are, as Sam and I were writing, uh, particularly uh, Valkyrie, um, there was sort of a moment where we're, we're looking at it and, and just going, man, this is going to, this is going to crush live. We've got to, <laughs> we've got to turn it down, man. Uh, and it was the same with The Tempest, where, you know, you're listening to it and just going in a live setting, this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun for us and, and a really kind of, uh, amped up experience for uh, for the audience. Um, the, the more adventurous songs like Salt and The Ascent, um, I, I I just love performing songs like that live when we get a chance to. A lot of the longer ones sort of take a bit of a, a back seat when we're putting a set list together, particularly if we're traveling to a new place, like when we eventually get to the United States after sadly having to postpone our tour in May. We'll be playing a lot of music from the back catalogue, so a lot of a lot of the longer songs sort of don't end up fitting within a, a time frame. So I, I, it's a real privilege to be able to play the more lo- the longer kind of more textured songs like Graves and, and things like that. So I'm really looking forward to bringing uh, the Ascent in particular into the live catalogue. I was lucky enough to catch you guys at Prague Power USA, where I did get to see Graves perform live, and just seeing those long songs that are so ambitious performed live is just such an incredible experience and it's a huge shame that your guys north american tour has been canceled and tours in general are put on hold so i guess looking to the happier side of that when you do eventually make it to the states what are you most looking forward to i think meeting more people to be honest i you know there's a lot of like i'm going to be perfectly honest here there's a lot of trepidation going to the united states uh, a lot of what we see from uh, Australia is, you know, like the, the worst of news. You know, we we don't get, you know, local positive stories of, of things that are happening. And, and a lot of what I've learned from America is, is an exaggerated sort of form of itself. And so going to Atlanta, I mean, our only our only trip was, was to there was kind of really insightful moment where 
I met all of these people and just sort of went like, oh, this is what the real America is like. You know, this is, this is what Americans are like. And that was a real treat. So I think I'm, I'm looking forward the most to being wrong about America and Americans and um, meeting more people. As you did touch on it a little bit, you said you're really going to draw on that back catalog. Um, when it comes to building your new set list, which songs other than The Ascent are you most looking forward to performing off of Rise Radiant? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think Slow Violence has to be the top, I think, for me. Just like it's not as heavy as stuff like the Tempest or, uh, or, uh, Valkyrie, for example, but you know, slow violence for me, it's, it's got a really strong message. Uh, it's something that I, that I feel very, very strongly about. Um, I, I love singing the chorus. It's a real, really fun treat and it's got a lot of opportunity for people to have a little sing along, which again, that's, that's one of my favorite things live. When, when you get that reflection of people that, that know the music, that it means so much to them and they're just belting out every song with you you know that that's uh i think slow violence is, is a really good uh, opportunity for that so yeah i'm looking forward to it so i guess stepping back a little bit to some projects that you've done that aren't caligula's horse related um so obviously i'm sure people never let you forget this your time that you spent in arcane and it's about been about five mm-hmm. five years now since um the double album known learned was released can you talk a little bit about what it was like being in that project how it was different from caligula's horse and i guess just the ambition it took to take on a project that large well it was a lot we were a lot younger yeah you know we could get away with a lot more uh i've been in arcane for about 10 years uh at that point it was it was a band that you know i, I joined and kind of started when i was um 17, I remember playing shows with Arcane, you know, before I was allowed in the venues that we were playing, um, technically speaking. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a long time coming, that album. That was the project where all of us, um, at the time had developed our sort of style or it was the beginning of the development of our style. Um, so I go back to the early Arcane stuff from like the late 2000s and sort of go like, ah, <laughs> I don't know, man, I would have done that very differently. That's exa- and a perfect example of one of the things I mentioned before. But Known Learned, um, it was a long time coming. It was it was a very, very long writing process. Our, our writing process was nowhere near as sort of streamlined and, and uh, positive as it is with Seahorse. It was, a, it was a really long time and with a lot of conflict and kind of creative difficulty there. But once it all came together... Uh, we actually had a rather successful crowdsourcing campaign for that that allowed us to actually record the record because we were all broke. Uh, and Sam Fallon from Cleveland Source actually produced the thing and um, really sort of kept it on the rails throughout. Otherwise, it would have uh, definitely fallen off and <laughs> fallen by the wayside for sure. Um, I look back on that time in sort of a, a negative light, really. Like, uh, again, I'm extremely proud of the album, but, uh, you know, there was a... That was a turning point in my life for sure. There was a lot of sort of dark stuff happening. I suffered a number of personal losses uh, and the loss of a, a very close friend um, at the time. And I think that was sort of a point where I wanted to shift from writing music that was intentionally kind of maudlin and, and sad and mournful and making you feel those things, maybe cathartically, maybe not, uh, and, and start putting it into songs that, um, again, never had darkness without positivity and never had positivity without darkness. So... Yeah, No Learned holds a special kind of place for me because it's a, a pivot point in my life where, where everything changed. What other kind of growth, I guess, have you experienced as an artist since then, as a creator, as an artist? I think the biggest one has to be a reflection of my personal life in, in becoming a parent. My daughter is now uh, nearly five, 
Uh, and Sam's recently had this experience too. His his uh, his wee boy is, is just over one, so it, it, you know it's been a very kind of recent change for us. And I think having that experience and and us changing as people into this mode, I, I think I said this somewhere else recently. I can't remember because I don't remember most of my life. I'm, I, I want to be clear. Um, I have holes in my brain and I'm barely functioning. Um, but as I recall. That was the beginning of my true... Oh, introducing my dog, Trillian, everyone. This is my dog. She is a white, fluffy, uh, Maltese Shih Tzu cross, and she is obnoxious. Um, but I think becoming a parent is what I describe as my entering my true adulthood. You know, I was a, a grown man before, but I wasn't really an adult until I became a parent. That's how I feel about myself. And so that, um, that was a, a huge change in the way that I approached creatively and the way that I approach life. And so that's been a huge growth for me. Given how much you put of yourself in this personal life, both into your um, work with Arcane and definitely your work with Seahorse, I want to talk a little bit about a project that you um, did guest vocals on last year, which is the song O Triad by Evan Carson. This song is full of pianos. It's so much softer and slower than pretty much anything Caligula's Horse has put out recently. It's thematically and musically different from your primary project. So as a vocalist and as a creator, how did you approach something that was, I guess, so different from your primary work? Interestingly, that's sort of more the world that I came from. Um, I grew up performing a lot of choral music and always had kind of a, a taste for uh, things on the folkier side and on the lighter side. Um, and my, my work with with Arcane sort of grew into more of the, the sort of progressive metal approach, and then that was further refined in, in Caligula's Horse as well. But um, the minute that I heard Evan's uh, demos for this stuff, he sent it through and asked me if I wanted to be involved, and it just it ticked all my boxes. <laughs> you know, I was really excited about it. Um, Gleb Koliadin from uh, from I Am The Morning, his piano work on that is phenomenal. And um, I was I was super super excited. So uh, the minute the minute he sent it, I, I was I was extremely positive. And honestly, it's one of my favorite albums from from that year. Um, and I, I uh, I'm gonna go listen to it again. Thanks thanks for that. I usually skip Otriad because you know it's, uh, I've done that. But the uh, the rest of it, the vocal performances, the the songwriting, just just incredible. Really, what an experience. Given how different that is from Caligula's Horse and how much you were just talking about it really suiting what you, um, I guess, grew up doing, do you ever feel that you need to pursue cre other creative outlets? How do you, I guess, satisfy the range of creation that you're capable of outside of Caligula's Horse? Well, Seahorse keeps me pretty busy creatively, for sure, um, and I get a lot out of that. But uh, I have I have sort of dabbled in again. Like spoken word was a was a, a passion of mine for a little bit. I'm sort of through a phase of that. I, t I tend to just do phases, man. I, I, like I just, you know, oh, this is really really great. This is me for sure. And then a few months later, it's just ah, you know, I did that. But yeah, that's sometimes uh, less often. You know, I was working on a, a little sort of short story a little while ago for a children's book, and and I have some ideas for that. You know. There's always little things, but uh, right now, interestingly, in isolation, I, I, I honestly have less time uh, than I did beforehand, so it's, it's kind of uh, kind of tricky right now. Isn't it amazing how busy we can be stuck inside our houses? Yeah, all of a sudden the school's closed, and you know I'm a I'm a different person now. I'm I'm teacher dad. It's a mess. <laughs> And I'm sure that this is going to be something that's super memorable for a lot of artists and a lot of creators. Do you see yourself carrying any inspiration from these, I guess, difficult times and additional time with your family into future work? I'm not sure you can help it, really. I mean, again, as you 
as you just like gather life experience, it, it ends up being reflected in your work. I can't imagine myself writing a song about isolation or about you know the the world situation. I tend not to do that. My my approach to things is a little a little broader than writing something specific that has a meaning that I I sort of shove down your throat. Um, but uh, you know I, I I have no idea. I mean all of the experiences we've had touring over the years and seeing more places in the world and just becoming more worldly and older and more mature in general, I think that has definitely shaped how we write. So, you know, I can't rule it out, but it it definitely won't be a literal uh, approach to this. So I guess just to wrap up, given that this is your fifth album, you are someday eventually, hopefully going to make it to the United States. And it seems (laughs) that you guys are getting bigger than ever. What do you see as Caligula's Horse next big milestone? Like, what's the dream? What's the goal here? Like, reach for the sky. What's the the goal? (laughs) Well, I I sort of stopped doing the the long-term kind of uh, adolescent fantasy kind of thing some, some time ago. We never really had... Uh, global aspirations for the band again like the music was for us so even the fact that we're doing what we're doing now and the fact that you and i are chatting right now is is, uh is fairly absurd uh but i think if i'm looking at the next big thing the thing that excites me the most is doing a tour of the united states i think that's why it was so personally disappointing that we had to cancel or postpone we are looking at january february 2021 by the way that's sort of fingers crossed is where this thing's going to land but um you know if you're talking about adolescent fantasy like that that's something that you know you're a teenager you're like yeah man my band's gonna be me it's gonna be faint you know and you think about touring the u.s and that's that's something that uh, i've been really looking forward to so um yeah i guess that's the next big thing and then who knows after that awesome well that does sound like a great next step and i'm sure and everyone here in the u.s is eagerly awaiting your arrival well, we're excited to be there. I'm, 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 I'm sure it's going to be a treat for us. And again, I want to learn about America, <laughs> the real America. We're out there, I promise. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you about this album. And I really hope that you have a great rest of your day and enjoy your time with your daughter. Thanks, Samantha. Cheers for that. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye now. You just heard an interview with Jim Gray from Caligula's Horse. Rise Radiant will be released on May 22nd. For more interviews like this one and other daily content on all things rock and metal, make sure to follow Sonic Perspectives on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. To close out today is the first single from Rise Radiant, This is The Tempest.
mother's eyes I got 